He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I'll give power to rule o'er the nations, and I will give to them the morning star. She who has an ear, let her hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the angel of the church of Tyre Tyra write, these are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like burning fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deed, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you're now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. By her teachings, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you for your deeds. Now. For the rest of you in Tyra Tyra, you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except that you hold on to what you have until I come. To him who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter and dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my Father. I will give that one the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I'll give power to rule o'er the nations, and I will give to them the morning star. The Spirit says to the churches.
was very powerfully done. You get the sense of the power of the message that we're going to be taking on today. Before we jump completely in there, I want to share with you a story very briefly of some good work that was done by some of our brothers and sisters in this church. In fact, actually initiated among the younger people, amongst the youth council, who last Sabbath determined that, yes, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And having so decided and seeing the, the damage to people's yards and so forth as a result of the storm that we had last week, got together and decided to do some good. And they got in touch with Pastor Patty and asked if they could do her some good. And she said, well, there's, there's ladies on my street here who don't have anybody to help them at all. And they got busy. They started out first where they were, did a little practice uh, getting a few things together and getting cleaned up. And then they got all together in a whole armada of vehicles and made their way across town to Pastor Patty's house. This is them doing their first place they were at. And then they moved on to Pastor Patty's house. And all of them got together and got out there to work. And the ladies that lived on Pastor Patty's street, there they are, were thrilled to see this group of young people come along and do such a good job. They brought their parents as well. And their parents came, and all along the street were the cars of the ones, and this is just some of what they put together. And when it was done, they all gathered together around for some pictures and had a time of prayer together with those ladies. How do you think they feel about our church now? Isn't that nice? And after that, they were in such a good mood and had so much energy, they came by the church and cleaned it up for you so that it would be nice for you this Sabbath. So what an awesome job done by these families, by these young people. And Pastor Mark was involved in helping get it going. And one of our Sabbath school classes played a key role in this. But I just wanted to tell you this story of good that was done in our name um, by some of the young people and their families in this church. And I just, for one, want to thank them. And maybe you want to join me in thanking them for the good job. If we look for opportunities to do good, to serve, they'll open up for us. And we will be able to be a blessing throughout our communities. Uh, A quick programming note. We would expect next Sabbath uh, to be looking at the Church of Sardis. But... Originally, we were going to be doing Philadelphia next week, and I was going to go ahead and stay with this because, you know, last Sabbath we didn't have, uh, we didn't continue our series because of the storm, and we only had the one service. So everything got moved down a week, but the thing is, I just can't not do Philadelphia next week, and here's the reason. Next Sabbath is October 22, and that's a date that doesn't mean much to most people, but it's pretty big with Adventists, and particularly to a group of Adventists that saw themselves in the letter to the Church of Philadelphia. So we're going to have to skip over Sardis. And so if you're doing the studies, when you get to study, the study for this next week won't be on Sardis like it should be if we were staying in order. It'll be on Philadelphia. But don't be stressed about that. We're not going to leave Sardis out. We're going to come back and get it. Maybe you can forgive me. We actually didn't do the Ten Commandments in perfect order either. So maybe you can let it go this time if you're very orderly. But I just had to do Philadelphia next Sabbath. So... That will be next Sabbath, then we'll do Sardis, and then we'll do Laodicea. So, all right, hope that doesn't stress anyone too much. All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, now we want those ears that hear. 
and eyes that see and minds that understand and hearts that are open to conviction. So speak, speak to us now and we will listen. In Jesus' name, amen. So we continue on with our series entitled Candles, focusing on the seven churches found in Revelations chapter 2 and 3. We've talked about Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, and today Thyatira. Thyatira, who even, who even knew that one was in there? I mean, who even knows how to pronounce that name? I don't even know if I'm getting it right. But partially that's because Thyatira was probably the least significant of any of the seven cities that are mentioned in the seven churches. You remember our map here of the province of Asia. Down in that bottom left corner is, is the Isle of Patmos where John was. And then Ephesus right there on the coast, the next one up. Then above it is Smyrna and then Pergamum. Well, all right, we're starting to come back down now. And Thyatira is that one to the, to the southeast there of Pergamum. There's not a lot of ancient Thyatira to see because there's a modern city of Akhizar built on top of it. There's a picture of a, of a square in the middle of town that has some ruins, some marble here and there, and you kind of get a feel that, yeah, maybe there was something there. But if you look in the background of that picture, you don't see an ancient city. You see a modern town, don't you? So all the ruins are just kind of crowded in, and nobody's ever really done much archaeology here, but then why would they? It really wasn't that important of a city. Now, there is some fairly impressive ruins of an old basilica, because Thyatira would be a prominent place for Christianity, actually up until the year 1922, when the last of the Christians were finally driven out of there. But this was built several hundred years after the time of John, so it's not really relevant to the time of our letter so the inclination with that and the fact that we've never really heard about it much might cause us to think, well, probably this letter to Thyatira isn't all that important, and let's just get through this today and we'll get on to the ones that matter. Well, there's a couple problems with that logic. The first is, just because we haven't necessarily thought about this one much or focused on it much doesn't mean it's not important. And in fact, if you're just looking at the amount of words written to each of the churches, the letter to Thyatira is the longest letter. I wonder if that's significant. And then there's another thing with this. And we've hinted at this briefly before, but let me talk about it again. It's called a chiastic structure. Now, this is a term that's used often when dealing with Jewish writings that is kind of named after the shape of the Greek letter chi, which to us would look like an X. And basically what it says is in Hebrew writing, they didn't put the most important point at the bottom, at the end. The most important point came right in the middle. And in the Psalms and in a lot of things like this, if you're reading those kinds of literature, sometimes the most important point sits right in the center of the message. Now there's an interesting way to look at the seven churches of Revelation. And we're going to start doing this a little as we go on. We had to get the first three before we could actually do this, but there are actually some interesting overlaps between Ephesus and Laodicea. And there's some interesting parallels between Smyrna and Philadelphia. And there's some interesting reality in the problems between Pergamum and Sardis. But guess which church sits right at the middle? 
And if, in fact, it follows that in a chiastic structure, in Jewish writing, the most important point is in the middle, that would suggest this message to Thyatira is the core of the message. Now, we haven't tended to think like that. Our minds tend to think the one at the end, and and particularly some of the ways we've looked at the churches. Laodicea has always had that place. And I don't think we've given Thyatira its due and the right consideration. So let's try to do that today. Let's try to hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Revelation 2, verse 18. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God. That's a pretty clear self-revelation there, isn't it? Whose eyes are like blazing fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Now we've learned to this point as we've been considering these different letters to the churches to note carefully how Jesus describes himself to the church. Because contained within the description of Jesus is something that will relate very closely to the need that that church has. And once again, with this church, just like with Pergamum, We're getting a picture of Jesus that's not our normal picture of Jesus. I did a search to see if I could find uh, some pictures related to this vision of Jesus with the blazing eyes and the feet like burnished bronze so that I could give you an idea of this. But the truth is, nobody really paints that picture. I really couldn't find anything that was all that meaningful. So I guess we're just going to have to use our imaginations today. What do you suppose is the meaning of eyes that blaze like fire and feet of burnished bronze? What do you suppose that might mean? Have you ever heard someone referred to as their eyes were blazing? Is that somebody that's feeling pretty laid back and calm? No. And when a person's eyes are blazing, is that the kind of person that you can easily fool? Or is that somebody who's seeing right through your little game right now? Verse 19. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. There's several interesting things here. First of all, love and faith and service and perseverance. Perseverance. We keep running into this word, don't we? This is the word hupomone. We've said it here lots of times before. It's the word that appears in Revelation 14, verse 12. Here is the perseverance. Here is the patience of the saints. It's one of those words that's associated with the good guys. And here it is again in the letter to Thyatira. Now what's interesting here is this makes an interesting link between Thyatira and Ephesus. Because this word hupomone is also used in the description of the people in Ephesus. But there's also another link between the two that's a contrasted link. I don't know if you noticed it as we read it. But did you notice it said about Thyatira... You are now doing more than you did at first. 
Do you remember the context related to Ephesus? Related to time? Do you remember what the angel says to the churches? He says, but I have this against you. You lost your first love. So here we have the Ephesian church doing all these good things, but their love is growing cold. But here's Thyatira. Love, faith, service, perseverance, and it's growing more. So in this context, Thyatira is actually doing better than Ephesus, who's doing great things, but Ephesus has lost their first love. So the first part of this message to Thyatira paints a picture of faithful believers who are doing what God desires for them to do and are not losing their first love, but instead are growing more and more and more. But there's a problem in Thyatira. And the problem in Thyatira is one of the thorniest problems that a church can ever face. Verse 20. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. Okay, well, pretty sure with the reference of that name that this isn't good, right? But we got to do a little history here to understand this reference. Does anybody remember who Jezebel was? Jezebel was the wife of King Ahab, who was king of Israel. But Jezebel was not from Israel. Jezebel was the daughter of Ethbael, the king of Sidon. And she was a very devoted Baal worshiper. She was around during the days of the prophet Elijah. And apparently Jezebel was scary. Now, the reason I say this, all the kings had wives. How many of their names do you know? Jezebel's name hung around. Why do I say scary? Well, that at least proves she's famous. Why do I say scary? Well, the whole Mount Carmel experience happened. Elijah went up on the mountain after three and a half years without rain. He challenged the priests of Baal, come and build an altar and I will build an altar to Yahweh, and on whichever altar fire falls from heaven, we will know that that is God. He takes on the king. He takes on the people of Israel. He takes on all the priests of Baal. They go up on the mountain, and you know the story. The fire falls on the altar of Yahweh. Elijah's not afraid of any of them. And in fact, after the fire has fallen, he has all the priests of Baal killed. But when it's over, Jezebel is mad. Jezebel is mad at Elijah for killing the priests of Baal and vows to kill him. So this Elijah who stood up to the king, who stood up to the people, who stood up to the priests of Baal, what did he do when threatened by Jezebel? Ran for his life. So I guess she was pretty strong and pretty scary. And here she is making a cameo appearance in the seven churches. Why? What does she represent? Well, there's an interesting overlap between the message to the church in Pergamum and the message to Thyatira on this point. Notice, Revelation 2, verse 20. 
Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. These two sins, being led into sexual immorality and the food sacrificed to idols, are the exact same ones mentioned in the letter to Pergamum. It's what is done by those who hold to the teaching of, do you remember? The teaching of Balaam. There's another Old Testament name for you in these letters. It's like I said, if you really want to understand Revelation, you've got to read the rest of the Bible. We identified two weeks ago as the presence within the church at Pergamum of a group that holds to and teaches bad behavior and bad things about God that are not true. This is what those things stood for. Sexual immorality and eating food sacrificed to idols. So it would seem that in Thyatira also there is a group within the community community teaching things that are not true. Though it also seems that in Thyatira this problem is significantly worse. For you see, we talked about in Pergamum, Balaam, it seemed as though the core of the church was solid, but there were people around the edges that were the problem. And just like Balaam got the Midianites to come around from behind and destroy the people of Israel, so in Pergamum the danger was an insidious one that was sneaking in the back door. But it's a little different by reference in Thyatira. You see, Balaam was an outsider sneaking around. But Jezebel was the queen who sat on the throne in the midst of the land. Do you see the difference in the references? What this suggests is that for Thyatira, the problem isn't one that's lurking at the edges of an otherwise reasonably faithful church. Instead, if we have understood this Old Testament imagery correctly, now the problem is centered squarely within the leadership of the church itself. It's a problem when unfaithfulness is lurking around the margins. But what do you do when unfaithfulness has infected the leaders? The problem is a serious one, and Jesus takes it seriously, as you will see, verse 21. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. And again, with these words, we see a contrast with the words in Pergamum. The other time when the picture of Jesus is not what we normally see. Pergamum has the Jesus with the sword coming out of his mouth. Thyatira has the Jesus of the burning eyes. In his words to Pergamum, Jesus says in verse 16, repent therefore, otherwise I will come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. So as we read this, we got the clear sense that with Pergamum, there was still time for repentance. Even repentance on the part of those who were spreading this teaching of Balaam. But it seems that things are a little different in Thyatira. It seems the time for repentance has passed, at least for Jezebel. So what can we expect when the time of repentance has passed? Well, judgment, right? Verse 22, So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, 
And I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of their ways, of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts. Remember the blazing eyes? That I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. It's hard to think of many passages in the Bible that paint a tougher picture than these two verses, isn't it? So, since we're at this point, let this be a warning to you. If you today find yourself living in Thyatira and sleeping with Jezebel, know this. One day your time will run out and judgment will come. And on that day, the Jesus with the eyes of fire will unmask your lies and reveal to all the truth. And because you have not repented and have not turned away from cherished sin, you will find yourself suffering alongside your lover Jezebel. That's the warning in the letter. And if you need to hear it today, I hope you hear it. There is a problem in Thyatira, and it is a most serious problem. You see, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and teaches the people to sin with impunity, is sitting in the very place in this church where Jesus Christ ought to sit. And instead of the people being taught by Jesus through the Holy Spirit how to love and be faithful and to serve and to persevere, instead, now another has taken Jesus' place and is leading the people of God astray. How? Well, it's always easy when we read something like this to assume that astray must mean into liberal behavioral laxity, such as into literal sexual immorality. And that's a valid application. Sometimes the leadership of the church loses its way and begins to espouse doctrines that are wholly inconsistent with the Word of God. This is a very dangerous situation. For the people in this circumstance start looking to these false prophets for affirmation and emboldening in things that their hearts know are wrong to do. And over time, the false affirmations that come from leaders in churches, pastors, voices, the wrong affirmations over time can result in the destruction of the conscience in the people of God. And soon, what once was the church recognizable has become the church unrecognizable from the world. It's all very true and a very real danger we face even in our day. So we must indeed be on our guard 
even against religious authorities and those who claim spiritual authority who would lead us into behaviors that are contrary to things like, oh, for example, the Ten Commandments. That's a pretty good guide to hang on to. Be very careful of any spiritual authority who would lead you contrary to that. But this is not the only danger that Jezebel poses. Jezebel doesn't always come dressed in the clothes of immorality. Sometimes she comes dressed seemingly exactly how we would expect Jesus himself to be dressed. And this is a Jezebel very much to be feared, for this Jezebel, in the name of Jesus, will seek to destroy everything that makes the church the body of Christ on earth. Do you remember what we read that is good about Thyatira? Verse 19, I know your deeds, your love, your faith, your service, and your perseverance. And that you are now doing more than you did at first. The deeds of a faithful church are not complicated. Love, faith, service, perseverance. These are the things that Thyatira is commended for, but these are also the things that Jezebel is trying to destroy. She will seek to destroy with immorality, true enough. But failing that, she is not left without cards to play. For you see, if she cannot render the church immoral, she will be satisfied to simply cause it to be so self-righteous that it becomes intolerable. And she will place herself in the seat of righteous authority and will make herself the sole arbiter of righteousness and will, in the name of Jesus himself, set apart on a course of inquisition and persecution that will gut the soul from the church and leave the faithful weak and broken and despairing. This is why in one traditional Adventist approach to the interpretation of the messages of the seven churches, the church of Thyatira is associated with the church of the Middle Ages, the pre-Reformation church, complete with papal authority and inquisitions and indulgences and persecutions. It was a hard time to be a Christian. We dealt with these issues last year in our Daniel series when we spoke of the work of the little horn, but we also noted that this destructive power within the church is not limited to the church of a single era, but rather to use the imagery of Revelation. Jezebel is always lurking about, seeking ever to, in the name of Jesus, claim Jesus' place in the church. So in this context... I say to all you potential residents of Thyatira, I say this, always beware of the insidious danger of the authority discussion whenever it arises in the church. The discussion about who is in control and who is in rebellion. Because it is a, destruction, it is a, a discussion that all too often ends in persecution. So what are we to do? Is there any hope for the people of Thyatira? There is hope. In fact, there is great hope 
found in the grace and mercy of Jesus. He is the one with the blazing eyes that sees through hypocrisy and he understands our situations. And this is what he says to us, verse 24. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have till I come. You see, Jesus isn't trying to make it harder on you. Jesus wants to help you. But for Jesus to help you, you're going to have to hold on to your faith. In mercy, Jesus sees you in your trials. And if your experience is a Thyatira experience, know that Jesus understands. And that he isn't expecting you to necessarily live up to all his expectations of Ephesus. Because Thyatira is a harder place to be a Christian than Ephesus is. See, Ephesus is the place where everything is good and right and relatively easy. And therefore, God rightly expects great things from them. But if you're in Thyatira, Jesus says, just hold on until I come. And don't let go. Regardless of what Jezebel says or does to you, hang on. And what will be the result of this faithfulness? Verse 26. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. Isn't that a beautiful promise? After living so long powerless and oppressed, Jesus promises, hang on. One day I will give you authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my Father, I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. There's no need to be afraid. Because Jesus himself will remove Jezebel from the throne. And when he does, he will also share his true authority with all those who have suffered under Jezebel's false rule. And just as the morning star is the sign of the promise of the dawning day, so will the one who holds on and perseveres to the end be filled with hope even as they wait for the fullness of the light of the glory of Jesus to appear. And this is where we have to close today. But what better place to close than with the vision of the glory of the appearing of Jesus? My call to you today is this. Don't lose your hope in Jesus. Even if it should seem that Jezebel is in charge of the church. And don't give up on the church either. Remember, this letter is written to the church in Thyatira. Even though it seems at least one of Thyatira's leaders has become a bit unhinged. Don't give up. And in addition, we must all humble ourselves before Jesus, searching our own hearts and our own motives and asking, am I following after Jezebel?
Have I gotten caught up in the power and control games? Have I enabled Jezebel to justify what my conscience knows is sin? It's easy enough to see how a crisis like the crisis of Thyatira can come upon us. Let us therefore commit and vow to each other in this room that we will not allow the spirit of Jezebel to rule regardless of what form it might take. But rather let us vow to hold on to love and faith and service and perseverance. Those are the things that make Thyatira great. And by the grace And under the watch care of the one with the eyes that blaze, this is what we will do. Let's pray. Father in heaven, may we indeed increase more and more in love and faith and service and perseverance. And may we indeed be those who hold on and never let go until the day of your appearing. In Jesus' name, amen.